0: Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And uh, perhaps I want you to also uh, make a note here uh, about this week's devotional. If it, when you spend time with the Lord, I want you this week to spend time with him in Luke chapter 15. And, and the reason is, is I want you to go before God in his word so that he will talk to you about who he is and who you are to him. Listen, when you read Luke chapter 15, you cannot escape these themes. There are three stories uh, in Luke chapter 15. We're gonna look at one of them today. Um, The first is the parable of a lost sheep. It's an incredible story. Maybe you've heard it before, but you can go back there. You can find out things about the father and you can actually find out things about yourself and how he feels about you. Then there's a parable of a lost coin. And and, and again, it's another story that actually establishes the heart of God toward us and our value to him. And then we're going to look at this final story That many times is referred to as the the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And we're going to go down through uh, verse 31. It's about 20 verses. I know that some of you are like, wow, I'm, I'm about to get my Bible reading in for the week. No, you're not. No, you're not. This is just God's fresh word for today. You need his word every day. And it is the very uh, centerpiece of sustenance in the life of believers. And so let's begin in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. You can follow along on the Bible app. Uh, you can uh, Today's message is also listed at calvary.online. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 says this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger?' I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be married. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What are the, what these things meant? And he said to him, Your brother has come and Because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, uh, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask now, that the Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. Speak to us, because it is your word that brings change. Thank you, Lord, that today you have us positioned to hear this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to share with you a message called The Heart of the Father. The Heart of the Father. Now most of you may know this passage as... Uh, the prodigal son, perhaps, you know, because they, they, they grab a, a title, that, and, and by the way, that's not a scripture title, most of you in your Bibles, that's just a label that was placed there over this passage, it's called the prodigal son, but um, aren't you glad that God doesn't label us sometimes the way that the, the, the Bible dividers labeled, you know, even these well-meaning people. You know, they, 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 they say, oh, well, it's the lost sheep, it's the lost coin, and it's the prodigal son, or it's the lost son. But how many of you know the end of his story was not that label? And I don't know who I'm talking to at the very beginning of this message, but I really felt compelled to tell you this, that your past will never define you when there is a God who makes all things new. There's a God who wants to make all things new in your life. And you may have done some things, and and there may be some people who want to label you by, by who you used to be, but if you would allow a God to come into your life to change you, then you would become the redeemed heir. I think that's a better title for this passage. The redeemed son. And it's time for us in the church to actually stop looking at people based upon their past. Instead of and and begin to see them through the eyes of the Father. Now, in order for us to know the heart of the Father, we really do need to take a real look at the condition of this Son. So, first, I want you to note this the Son destroyed his relationships. Luke 15:11 says a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me," and he divided to them his livelihood. This this is what this young son was saying. He was saying, "Dad, I wish you were dead." Cuz no one gets an inheritance from a father that's still living. You get it after he's gone. I mean, it's like this book, is, this passage, it's just ripped out of the arguments that sometimes happen in homes today. Mom, Dad, I wish you were dead. But he was saying it for a different reason. He was saying it for a very selfish reason. Anybody uh, come, no, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand if you come from a family like this. But can anybody identify with the the brokenness that's in this family? Does anybody have people in your family that you know you kind of gotta coddle them just the right way? Make sure that they stay happy enough to stand in the picture at Christmas time so you guys can pretend to be the perfect family for that one second, and then afterwards you're like, oh. I'm glad that's over. So this is this young son. He's throwing grenades into this relationship. He's looking at his dad and his dad. He's like, I wish you were dead. And remember that each of these stories in Luke chapter 15 are actually actually an allegory about our relationship with God. It reveals something about us and it also reveals something about the heart of the father. So here's a big truth that everyone in the room needs to grasp. Our broken relationship with God is not his fault. I know that many people, as they're struggling and growing, they're like, well, I think sin was his fault. Why did God let a serpent in the garden? You know, God warned Adam and Eve. He said, a serpent's coming. And he said, you should subdue it. You should subdue whatever rises up against you that would come between the intimacy between you and God. And listen, we, all of us in this room, we need to own the fact that our brokenness in our relationship with God is not God's fault. It's our fault. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that's talking about Adam, and death through sin... Thus death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, we have to admit our own contributions to our brokenness. I know that this is difficult in in a, a, a culture where everybody is offended at everything. It's like, why do tacos have to be cheaper on Tuesday? Don't they know I'm busy on Tuesday? That is not fair. It needs to be Taco Friday. We're looking for reasons to be offended and people are offended at everything and and here's what happens. In practical ways, we say, I am the way I am because my mom, my dad, this situation, if I had this, if I had that. And what we do is we blame and we blame and we blame and we don't actually embrace the fact that it could be that some of your brokenness, the responsibility lands right at home. We have to admit our own contributions to our brokenness. Listen, this is, this is tweetable. I do not tweet. But you can. Blame will keep you bound, but truth will set you free. And if we continue to blame others for the condition that we're in, we will stay in that condition. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited. Report cards are coming. I'm excited for two things. Number one, when my children perform well, I get to reward them. When they don't perform well, I get to keep more of my money. So I'm blessed either way. And have you ever heard a have you ever heard a a, a child say this? My teacher gave me that grade. Huh? So they're just handing them out down there, huh? Is that how that works? No. You earned that grade. That's actually that's what you built. That's what you learned. And if we will if if we'll ever step out of blaming. And we actually start saying, no, 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 part of this is my responsibility. And the truth is, is that if I will work, my, work harder and I will set myself to learn, I'll earn a better grade. Well, you know, that principle actually uh, uh, applies to all kinds of areas in life, especially in relationships. Don't blame all the, the, the brokenness in your family on your drunk uncle. It could be. That there's a little bit more brokenness because you won't stop talking about your drunk uncle. And you should be praying about, uh, praying for him and believing that God's gonna deliver him and that God has a plan for him. And much in the same way that you see yourself in Luke's, Luke 15, you need to start seeing him in Luke 15. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we need to see this con- condition of this son Now, this son, he also, he did something, and this really bothers some of us. He wasted his resources. You see, in Luke chapter 15, verse 13, it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, or uh, uh, the word prodigal actually means wasteful living. So... Here's what happens in this Jewish culture that this story is being told in. So, this man has two sons. This is the way the inheritance would have gone. The older son would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance given to him. And the younger son would have gotten one-third. You say, that doesn't sound fair except in that culture, the older son had the responsibility of caring for the father and the mother into their late age. He oversell everything connected to the family land. And so he had more responsibility so in his, his inheritance was greater so that he could meet the need that he was responsible for. And the younger one got one-third. And so what he did is he collected one-third of all of the inheritance And then he took it and he wasted it. You say, how did he waste it? Well, his his brother was cruising Instagram. (laughs) Somehow he found out that his younger brother was spending all the inheritance on prostitutes. I don't know how you find that out in a day with no social media, but he found out. And he, he even makes it known. He said, Listen, he's wasting everything. He's wasting what he's been given. And truth be told, we need to see ourselves in the sun. Let me put it to you this way, and maybe you could identify with his story a little bit through this lens. Your flesh has an inaccurate imagination. Your flesh has an inaccurate imagination. Just ask anybody who has ever been through the pain of adultery. The person who who sees the other person, it looks like greener grass on the other side of the fence. Oh man, they, they speak nice to me. They really appreciate me, all the rest. And then you cross the barbed wire fence and here's what you find. There's no greener grass on the other side of the fence. It's just grass. You see, the flesh has an inaccurate imagination, and this son was imagining his life would be better in his hands and out from under the father's influence. And many times when we abandon our relationship with God and we take the resources, the talents, the gifts in our lives, and we say, I'm going to apply them to myself, here's what we're doing. We're saying, God, the grass is greener away from you. And not once, but twice in the, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14 and Proverbs chapter 16. We read this verse, which may have been quoted to you at some point. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Listen, if you're here and, and, and you, you think, wow, I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to come up with a better way. A better way than God's way, I'm going to follow my way. I'm going to follow my dreams. I'm going to do things my way, you know. And I've been through this situation. And my family's broken and and I can't catch a break and it seems like nothing is going well for me. So I'm I'm making my plan. I'm going to live my plan. Here's what the scripture says. The end of that way is death. If we don't start with a wisdom that comes from God, the way ends in death. Those things which we think will bring us satisfaction those things which we think will open doors for us, those possessions they certainly won't we'll end up wasting the resource of our life and there's one thing that is precious time you don't get any more time you're not getting an hour ago back you're not getting last week back you only have this precious resource of time right now And what I would say is is don't live it in the vain imagination of your flesh, which promises a future it can never deliver. But when God promises you a future in his word, he always delivers. Not only did this son waste these resources, but he also betrayed his beliefs. Luke 15, 14 says, but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. Look at me in the room. Everybody look at me. I'll I'll keep going with this. Some of you think it's the devil that brought a famine into your life and the want and need that brought you back to church was the devil. And I want to tell you, sometimes famines come from heaven. So that we can gain a perspective. Sometimes the famine that comes in your life. Sometimes the, the absence and the longing and that deep need inside of you. That, that thing it, it is not coming from the devil. It's actually coming from God to get you positioned back so he can restore you. It says, a famine arose in the land, he began to be in want, and then he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, set him, he, he was sent into the fields to feed swine. That's a big deal. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods from the, sw- the, the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. Here's what you need to know. Jews were for- forbidden from keeping swine. It was forbidden. They were unclean. Matter of fact, for a Jew to even touch a pig, they too would become unclean. And in order for them to worship God, they would have to go through a cleansing ceremony just to come in to worship God. He would have betrayed all of the beliefs that he was taught as a child. He would be betraying God, his family, and all his beliefs. But And, 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 and I, I really know that there are people in the room today Like you found yourself doing things you thought you would never do to satisfy an ache and a longing that you thought you could satisfy on your own. Most of the people who are bound in addiction didn't wake up one day and say, Wow, I just, I think I'll go get addicted today. That'll be fun. I can't, I can't wait to try to find heroin or meth. They don't start that way. Here's what happens. There's this this out of control snowball that happens when, when we try to search for satisfaction and we betray everything that we know. There may be people here today, that's where you found yourself, betraying what you know but aren't you grateful for God's grace? We find it in the story. We find it. It says this, but when he came to himself, another version says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair and I perish in hunger I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Listen to this last thing. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. He says, I don't even want to be restored to sonship. I just want to be like a servant. And this is now where the heart of the father gets revealed. When you really see the condition of this son. In Luke 15, 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad interrupted before he could get the rest of his speech out. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be married. For this, my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Here's what you need to know about Father God today. Remember, this is an allegory all about the Father and us. And we have to pull down every idol that we've established in our hearts. Uh, uh, Tozer said it this way. He says, we have no time to think thoughts about God that do not exist. He says, the thoughts that we think about God, they need to be accurate. Accurate. And these reveal accurate thoughts of the Father that you and I can apply to our life that bring change. First, the Father is watching and waiting. The Father is watching and waiting. Verse 20 says, he arose and came to his Father, but when he was still a great way off, his Father saw him. And if you are away from God today, he is watching and awaiting your return. Listen, you need to know this. If you feel distant from God, God does not have his arms crossed thinking, yep, they'll be here soon. No, he's leaning off the proverbial porch of heaven, looking down on any who would repent and enter into his grace. He's looking He's watching, he's waiting, he desires for you to return. It's not his desire that any should perish, that any should suffer under the influence of their own flesh and desires. What he's saying, I desire, I'm watching you daughter, I'm watching for you son, I'm watching. And you need to know the father is looking for you to return today. He's looking for you. He hasn't sealed off heaven. There's still an open door with the father waiting at the gate. We find the father is watching and waiting, but we also find that the father has compassion. It says he saw him and had compassion. You need to know that this is part of the father. He sees our suffering. It says and he had compassion the word compassion it means literally out of the greek it means with suffering passion means suffering so god sees your suffering god sees where you really are he sees what you're really going through and it moves him it's he's he's moved by it he's not the god that's just waiting For you to return, so he can say, I told you so. That may be satisfying for you and I, but that is not satisfying for God. God is not waiting with an I told you so, God has compassion. And if you have found yourself today in the middle of a mess that is your fault, there is still a God who has compassion on your life, who is waiting and watching and has a heart that is for you. Don't let religion rob you of an encounter with the father thinking he won't have me, he won't receive me, all I could be is a slave in his house. No, don't think that at all. He has compassion on you. He sees your suffering. And you need to know that the father moves toward humility. I love this. What did the father do? He ran. He ran. When he saw that broken son, that broken one make any move toward home, When he's waiting and watching and heart-filled, seeing the suffering, what does he do? God runs. God runs. You say, what would make God run? A humble heart that turns to him. You see... This is a patriarchal society. That means that they elevate grandmothers and grandfathers. They elevate heads of households. Everyone serves them. That is the culture of the entire Arab world. I, I for years, have gone to minister in Toronto to a, just a fully Arab conference I've tried to tell them over and over again, I am not Arab. They keep inviting me back. <laughs> because their their parents come out of, of, of all kinds of torture of Christians out of the Middle East and their sons and daughters have been raised in the west so their sons and daughters have western culture and and the moms and dads have eastern culture so dads many times are very honorable and they expect honor and they expect respect and 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 they're christians but they're they're modeled by their culture and then we've got all of these kids from the west and they're just like you know talking about the Toronto Raptors and the NBA. They they just want to dress the way they talk. They they have no appreciation for that character. And and what we have seen God do is God melt the two hearts of both generations when when I get to go there. And we've watched sons begin to reach out to dads and dads begin to reach out to sons. But in this culture, to hear that a father would run is weird. Fathers don't run the broken sons broken sons need to come back to whole dads but i'm here's here's what you need to know in this story god says i'm running and you, you need to see this they they don't have on their cool under armor pants <laughs> they got on their under armor robe that has to be tucked in in order to run and he pulls it up and shows off those pasty white legs <laughs> Well, if I was the father, that's what it would look like. (laughs) These are slightly more tan and olive because of the place that this story is being told from. Listen, he pulls up his robe, tucks it in, exposing the legs. This is not what fathers do. He says, I'm moved by humility. And he pulls his robe up and he runs at humility, This, I believe, is the greatest picture of James chapter 4 verse 8. When we see this word, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You've ever wondered what it looks like for the Father to draw near to you? Here's what it looks like. I just humbled and turned and started to make my way back in humility. And God pulled up his robe and started running at me. A son who didn't deserve mercy that's what James 4 8 looks like and listen if you'd humble yourself today and turn to God God will run to you he's waiting and watching and he's moved by humility if you read James chapter 4 you find out that if you submit to God resist the devil the devil flees from you and God gives more grace to the humble he gives grace to the humble What you and I need to hear today is that God isn't running away from us because of our condition. He's actually running toward us. Here's what else we learn about the heart of the Father is that the Father expresses his love. It says he runs to him. And he falls on his neck and kisses him. The Father God is not distant emotionally. He actually wants to be near you to express his love towards you, regardless of your condition. We sometimes think, yeah, God makes a move toward me, but because of all the stuff that, that I've done in my life, he gets close enough and says, oh, shower first. Yeah, you gotta you gotta clean up before we can get real close. Shower. No, the heart of the father runs all the way in and falls on his neck and kisses him. And see, for you and I, we're Gentiles, we don't get what this means. You don't understand. This son just left the pig pen. He is unclean. And the father says, I am breaking out of tradition. I am breaking out of those things which would separate. And the father dives right in to a son who's unclean, falls on his neck, and kisses him. This is a great truth. That in the Old Testament, if something was unclean and it touched the clean... The clean would become unclean. Would have to go through a ceremony to be clean so we could approach God again. But in the New Testament, when the clean touches the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. And that's what our God does. Don't think you've got to clean yourself up. Because there's a father that's running to you. And he's not distant emotionally. He's expressing his love toward us. And he comes in your condition. And you're smelly. And you're broken. And you've broken relationships. And you've made tons of mistakes. And he he comes to you. And he falls on your neck. And he kisses you. You say, where else do you see that in Scripture? It's Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. That while we were still dirty, unclean, and separated sinners, Christ died for us. So the Father expresses his love. And your condition will not keep you from God. Your condition is actually why God pursues you. Lastly, in the heart of the father, we see that the father actually restores to original intent. And in the middle of his prepared sermon, the son trying to get out that he no longer wants to have the role that he once carried, the father interrupts him. And he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be married for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here's, here's some things that the father restores to us who return. It says, God gives us a robe. He restores covering. Do you know what it's like to come out of the covering of God to be exposed and vulnerable and then have God establish back in your life his covering over you? his protection over you, his goodness over you. This son who thought he had been so exposed and would never have anybody ever give anything to him again. Here's what happened. God comes and says, I'm going to restore your covering. I'm going to cover you. It's what the Father did, and it's what the Father does today. God restores our covering. When we return to the Lord, we see this in the heart of the Father. God restores authority. He gives him a ring. This ring would have probably had the markings of their own family in it. So this son who, was, who, who, who literally was dead and now is alive... Gets restored to sonship, not servanthood. He says you're going to carry all of the weight of being part of this family. Some of you in this room, you wonder whether or not God will really use you based upon the things that you've done. And I just want to tell you, God restores authority to you. That's what his grace does. When you humble yourself, when you repent, when you say, I'm try, I, I'm so tired of doing this my way, God comes with a ring to give you authority. It's not authority that starts with you. It's authority that starts with the name that is above every name. His name is Jesus. That's why in this altar today, there were bodies healed because there is a greater name than the name of every disease and every brokenness on the planet. His name is Jesus. And if you've come here today with a stamp of depression, across your heart. There's a greater name. His name is Jesus, and he breaks the chains of depression, and he breaks the chains of, uh, of anxiousness, and how can I say that? Because I once was this son, and when I returned, I didn't feel like I deserved anything, but he put a ring on my finger. And I've seen the power of the name of Jesus change lives and the heart of the Father restore all who would turn to him. And that's what the Lord wants to do in your life. I love this about God. God also restores covenant. He gives him sandals. You say, what do sandals have to do with covenant? Well, you see, in the Old Testament, if you were going to strike a deal with somebody, how you knew that you cut a covenant is you took off your sandal and you actually put it under your thigh. So when he put sandals on his feet, he's saying... I'm coming back into covenant with you. We're coming into covenant relationship. The son had nothing good to offer in this contract. Contracts for us work like this. Sign here, sign here, sign here. In this day, a covenant worked with a stronger party making an agreement with a, with a party who had no strength. And this is how this works. The son had nothing to give the father, but the father gave these shoes and says, now you have the ability to be in covenant with me I'm gonna make a covenant with you and I'm not gonna break it and this is what God is saying to you you may say I don't have anything to offer God you know what God does he gives you the ability to come into covenant with him to come into relationship with him you say how do I do it you believe you repent and you believe you believe that God sent his only son to die on a cross that he was buried and on the 3rd day God raised him from the dead and he will come into covenant relationship with you and he will not walk out on you he will sustain you he will strengthen you he will give you his spirit he'll be your covering he'll restore authority and you'll walk in his covenant and then what happens he throws a party he throws a party Some of you need to realize that when you're coming back to God, heaven's celebrating. The verse before, the verse right before this passage, in Luke Luke 15, verse 10 says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One son who makes their way back to a father. Listen, heaven starts to celebrate. And you know what we ought to do? We ought to celebrate. Listen, here's what we're not doing here at Calvary. When, when a person comes to God, here's what we're not doing. Well, it's about time. No way. We're going to take on the reflection of heaven. If you turn to God and you repent, we're going to celebrate We're going to celebrate with heaven. We're going to celebrate that you're no longer a slave but a son. That there is a power that took all those old things and now all those old things have become new in Christ. We're going to celebrate that God has a call on your life. And that that call hasn't been forfeited. That God is restoring you to your original intent. No matter how far you ran, he is after you. He is running to you. Watch watching and waiting to see you return to his open arms so he can restore you to your original intent. But don't do it in your own power. And I have just one brief word, God bless you. I have one brief word for those who aren't wandering, who've been in the church for a long time, who got a little upset, when Calvary started growing and people started getting saved and somebody came and sat in your seat. <laughs> Some of those people are no longer in your service. They had to go to first service. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and you were like, man, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad they finally decided to live for God, you know. I know them. Citrus County is a small place. I know what they've done. I saw them on Chronicle mugshots. Some of y'all laughing. I know that's where y'all go for your news. (laughs) I know you're not going there for a prayer list, that's for sure. (laughs) Looking to see who's getting in trouble. Here's what we need to see as older brothers, those who've been walking with the Lord. Notice what the father says to the older brother. He said this, son. I'm always with you. He says, there is nothing that compares to the relationship you have walked in with me in the time that your younger brother has been away. He says, the time you have spent with me, you have no idea what I've protected you from, what I've kept you from, what i blessed you with, what I I allowed you to be a part of. And then you see somebody come in and they get a miracle and you've been believing God for a miracle. You know what you need to do? You need to celebrate. If they've been saved three days and God opens their blind eyes and you've been like, man, I've been asking God to heal me of these glasses. Listen, we need to get happy. Because there's nothing like having God's presence. And then, here's the, here's the last word for you. This is what the Father says to you. All I have is yours. Remember, he gave the one-third away. The younger son didn't get that back. He said, all I have is yours. You need to understand that your part in the celebration of people coming into the kingdom is connected to God giving you everything that you need. And our part of being a part of the harvest time right now, being a part of reaching out to our coworkers and reaching out to our family members, and perhaps maybe you even brought someone with you to church, that is the older brother's job so that we can come into the father's house, see the father restore them, and throw a party. I want you to listen today. I shared this message with you because I believe God wants every single person to know His heart toward them. And you may have found yourself in the story today, sabotaging relationships, wasting what God has given you, your one moment of humility, away from heaven, running towards you to forgive you, restore you to what God's plan is for your life.